0: our scripture text for today are a couple of passages from Daniel Daniel chapter 3 the last almost the last verses but not quite and then Daniel chapter 4, some of the last verses let me set the tone for you a little bit the setting for each one, the first time uh, they're both declarations made by King Nebuchadnezzar the first time, uh, it's after <clears throat> the fiery furnace incident where the three young men have come out of that fiery furnace with no problems at all. The second time is after, uh, well, he'd had a dream and Daniel had interpreted to him about the tree and all that with the boughs chopped off, etc. Uh, but he's been driven into the wilderness for seven years. And madman. His hair grows long, his fingernails grow long, and then his reason gets restored to him, it says. So that's the context for these two readings here. First from chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Listen here to God's Word. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then after his time of <clears throat> out in the wilderness some years later, his reasons restored to him, here's what he says. But at the end of that period i nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and i blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing but he does according to his will with in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him what have you done at that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out so i was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me now i nebuchadnezzar praise exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Amen. Then we have a Psalter lesson today, Psalm 75. This will be the text we end up with in the sermon that sort of focuses all of what we'll learn about, that folks learned. So listen here to God's word. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. Men declare your wondrous works. Now God speaks. When I select an appointed time, it is I who judge with equity. The earth and all who dwell in it melt. It is I who have firmly set its pillars. I said to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with insolent pride. Now comes the comment. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams. It is well mixed, and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. But as for me, I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. And all the horns of the wicked he will cut off but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Amen. Then our final passage today is in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. This is simply Paul reflecting on his own deliverance, and call by God, realizing what a wonderful and gracious thing it is. So listen here to God's word. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of the Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And we say amen as well. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Lord God, we always wait upon you. We can do all sorts of things, but we know that Apart from you, apart from your grace, we can't really do anything. And so we ask you to let our hearts, our minds, our being be blessed by receiving your word, by understanding it, by allowing it, having it take deep root in our lives and our minds, continuing to transform the way we live, the way we think. So come Holy Spirit, do your gracious work among us. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior and the Lord of all, Amen. Did you get any sense of what kind of man King Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar was from that first declaration of his that I read? I would reckon so. He says, if you don't do what I've said you'll be torn limb from limb. Your house will be made of rubbish heap. Now, I've been known to holler at people, but I've never said that. You know, I may say that to a chicken, but I don't say that to anyone else, you know. He says, if you don't do this, you'll be torn limb from limb. House made of rubbish heap. Why would he do that to someone? He says, well, because I'm going to, Protect the dignity and sanctity of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were not idle threats. Those weren't just boastful, blowations of his. He had lots of experience doing those very things. He had a track record, and everyone knew what it was, and when he said things, people listened. Nebuchadnezzar was in fact a potent potentate isn't that wonderful a potent potentate so now you know what a potentate is it's Someone who's powerful Well, he was a powerful powerful man He reigned for 43 years over Babylon the greatest he made it into the greatest nation of the time from 605 BC to 562 BC he reigned he defeated all the other kingdoms in in the area in the known world that world at that time he was the boss he was the guy he did amazing building projects that were among the seven wonders of the world that people went to look at he was he had vision he had all he was he could do it he had lots of interaction with the jews that's why we remember him so well because he's in the pages of the bible regularly that's the main way in which we know him he was the one the king whose army captured Jerusalem for the first time in the year 597. That's not the final destruction of Jerusalem, that'll come later. But in 597, his armies captured it. And that's when Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and thousands of others were sent to Babylon, away from their homeland. Then 11 years later, when there was a rebellion by a king he had put on board there, uh, in 586, His armies came and they defeated Judah again and destroyed Jerusalem. Burned the temple. It was a devastation. All the people went into exile known as the Babylonian captivity. So he was a tough guy. He knew how to wreak havoc wherever he went. He had every reason to consider himself the main man on the face of the earth. All power was his. Now the fiery furnace episode made an impact on him. There were three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who defied him, his orders about to bow down and worship his image that had been made, because they did not want to dishonor God, their God, Jewish God, Yahweh. Uh, He gets enraged. It says the expression of his face changed. He was red with rage. He throws them into a furnace that's heated up seven times harder than ever would before. And then, lo and behold, they don't get burned up. They walk around in there, free and easy, and come right on out. Their bonds are gone, and there's not even the smell of smoke on them. (coughs) He can understand that. That's a work of power. Not anyone can just do that. These guys, the God that they serve, protected them so well that they didn't have anything happen to them bad at all. So he makes that declaration, the first one that we read, may I say to you, it's not the declaration of a humble man. He, the boss, will ensure that the right respect for the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is kept. Now that's not to say that that God is his God, but he's willing to recognize another potent potentate as well. Someone who's a peer, someone who can come alongside him as it were now Paul was not that different from Nebuchadnezzar consider his self description we read about in first Timothy 1 he says I was a blasphemer that is he was someone who spoke against God God's Word and God's deeds he made light of them in some way and specifically the things of the Lord Jesus Christ he said no to all that he said that's wrong he was a blasphemer I didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit but he blasphemed God he says he was a persecutor he didn't tear anyone from limb to limb but he participated in stoning where people died we have one example of that from the martyrdom of Stephen. Paul was there holding the coats of the people who, who did it. But he was a, a persecutor who watched people die. Then he goes on and says, In addition to that, I was a violent aggressor. Acts 8:3 says that he ravaged the church. That he went around dragging men and women to prison, and some of them were stoned, some were sentenced to years and stuff like that so he's a violent aggressor he was doing what he said this is what needs to be done he was the boss I would suggest to you that every human being is a Nebuchadnezzar we want our way on our terms you say well John that's pretty harsh to say well folks I have grandkids I can say that with the shirts right before I can say it with my own kids but now I say it with my grandkids that's sure kids age one to five where's Bobby Bobby Hill. have you ever seen our, our mutual grandson Henry just act absolutely horrible because he doesn't get his way well we have you have to I us well, be honest we have an older grandson who's three and a half Atticus he can do the same thing we have granddaughter we have one granddaughter who's too young to do this yet she's only like three weeks old but the other one can do it as well so male or female they can do this and there we see our nature <clears throat> before we get cultured and cultivated and can cover things over we see how we, we want it done our way we want it done soon and we will get violent if it doesn't happen, I had someone in my office, not from our church, in my office this past week with, with had some kids with them, Their kids, and they had about a four or five-year-old son who didn't get what he wanted, and he threw things in my office. I said, hello, Nebuchadnezzar, how are you doing? <laughs> so I'll, I'll, that's all I'm saying, all right? All of us, part of humanity, we read about Nebuchadnezzar, we read about Paul to do those things. All of that we should see, oh yeah, that's me as well. As adults, we may learn how to cover that over, but it's still there. Let me ask you this. How many people are mad at God for XYZ? Shake your fist. What do you think you're doing, God? How come XYZ happened? Or how come this or that? How many people are mad at God? I talk to lots of people who've been mad at God. I've been known to be mad at God on occasion. I don't understand if we get met, and then you have to come back and say, hold on, can't, can't really do that? How are we how much time we got? got to hurry. How much are we likely to make His word conform to us as opposed us to conform to His word? That's the problem. Now Nebuchadnezzar and Paul both were changed. What happened? Several things one they became overwhelmingly aware of their puny powerlessness despite all the things that they had they became acutely aware that they were really puny and powerless when push came to shove and they became overwhelmingly aware of the greatness the goodness the mercy the grace of God just overwhelmed them his truth his justice and his worthiness oh they saw God for who he was in the totality of that as best they could. And Nebuchadnezzar gives expression to that in the second exclamation of his that we read from chapter 4. Notice what he says there, his eyes are raised toward heaven. So no longer is it peer-to-peer like this on a, on a horizontal level. His eyes are raised, someone higher than him. is raised are raised to the, to the king of heaven, it says, uh and he's not focused on what people around may think either all the focus is on god he says he reigns or he has dominion forever and over all things he's the one he he's the boss how long from generation to generation he says it doesn't change it says his will is done no one can stay his hand and no one can question his actions or his ways that's what Nebuchadnezzar says he concludes I praise exalt and honor the king of heaven all his works hear that all his works are true and his ways just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride do you hear the difference between those words and the first exclamation that he ordered I'm going to tear limb from limb anyone who doesn't honor God Huge difference whole Entirely different likewise Paul frames things differently. He says Thanksgiving. I'm going to give Thanksgiving to Christ Jesus our Lord Before whom he wanted to put down and make fun of and say no to now he's our Lord He says the grace of the Lord was abundant to me He says I found mercy How did Nebuchadnezzar's reason return to him? And how did Paul regain sight? They got entirely new minds and visions of themselves, of other people, of the world and of God. They were renewed in their mind. They could see things differently than they ever saw before. God was merciful to them. They saw exactly what Psalm 75 says, God is the one who raises up and puts down. Our cups are from his hand. Now, that term cup. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? His prayer? What does he say? If possible, may this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. So the cup there in Psalm 75 refers to the, here's what God has given us to drink from in this life. And sometimes we are concerned about what other people's cups hold or what ours hold and yet nebuchadnezzar and paul came to the place where they saw god is good in all his ways he's just in all his acts my cup that he's given me is the right cup and i will drink it just like jesus said this is the cup the lord has for me and i will drink it in fellowship with him and each of them would declare the same thing with the way that psalm 75 ends It says, the wicked shall be judged. We need to know that. Sometimes it seems like the wicked get away with it. The wicked shall be judged. Those who deny God, who walk contrary to God, they shall be judged. The last line of Psalm 75 says, the righteous, that is, those who are clothed with the righteousness that God gives in Christ, the righteous shall be blessed. Some takeaways for us humans must come to know their wickedness and unworthiness all God's work is founded on this and the discovery of this is not pleasant it's arduous it hurts it's hard for us it's hard for us to watch someone experiencing that but all humans must come to know their wickedness and their unworthiness that is by grace God's favor they come but here's the good news what Paul says in 1 Timothy, says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says in another context in the Gospels, Jesus says, I didn't come to call the well, the healthy. I came to call the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. Those who see their need. Once that's happened, you've received grace from God, from Christ, there's a spirit of gratitude and hope that pervades your soul and your mind. You're grateful no matter what your circumstances. No matter what, thank you, God. I don't quite know how to thank you for this yet or whatever, but there's hope no matter what. Pat and I, this week, we read Psalm 89 one day. And uh, the guy who had had set it out and said just read through verse 22 or 23 of Psalm 89 because that all said all these great things about God and then from there on it said but God what about this and what about this and what about this and you've not been with us and all these things have happened so he recites the stuff there but then the psalm ends with "But nonetheless our hope is in you now because we're accustomed to things happening so quickly don't you get frustrated when your computer it takes like you know three seconds to go from one site to the other. Isn't that terrible? I mean, I'm wasting my time all the time like that. And so when when, when God's working things out and putting things through our lives, we could get impatient. Psalm 89 is a good one shows that. There's all that waiting. But at the end, while He still waiting, he says, But I know that God will do what's right. He will take care of me. Take care of His people. The house says, "Will to be done." It was such a just a good thing to read Psalm eighty-nine that way. So there's a spirit of gratitude and hope that pervades the lives of believers. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be pervaded with gladness and gratitude and hope, regardless. Of the cup that's in your hand, okay. Now the way Paul ended that little passage that we did there, I want to read that. That's how we want to end here. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that good? Oh, I want to say that. Yeah, but to the King eternal. Immortal invisible the only God be honor and glory Forever and ever Amen and amen